Hey, welcome to Rewind, a place where old guys can talk. Go ahead, Jeff, tell your story. Um, so I, we're just newly to this community, and, um, and we started going to this church. Uh-huh. And so we're getting connected, right? Yeah. That whole community thing, getting connected with people, and sure. Um, and uh, so I got asked if I wanted to go golfing. Uh huh. You know, with some of the with some of the guys from from the church, right? Yeah. And it was, it was like three three guys from church, and he said, "Yeah, well, our pastor is going to come along, right?" Uh huh. Said, "Fine, great." So. We all meet at the golf course and we're out there and yeah, we get we're shooting a couple holes and um pastor gets out there and uh he puts the ball on the tee and uh um pretty soon he goes, This ball is missing so and so and he whacks the ball. <laughs> uh you know, uh have you been watching that have you been watching <laughs> Have you been watching that Michael Jordan special, Jeff? The, uh, a little bit, a little what? bit. But you know, I was like, I was in shock, you know, because you have, you have this, um, you put, um, you know, your leaders like pastors, you put them up on that pedestal, right? Uh huh. Right. Yeah, how they're supposed to, uh, how they're supposed to act, and how they're supposed to treat people, and. Uh, oh yeah, they got to be. Fem- the they got to be feminine, right? You know, we want them to be feminine, yeah. like like. Uh, your mommy pet you, you know. <laughs> Go ahead. Right, but the, but the end of the, but you know at the end of the day, it's like you know they put their pants on just like everybody else. Well, sure. You know they have feel they have feelings and um, they use toilet paper. Things that, right, things that make them happy and things that make them angry. Right. And the bottom line is, whenever you have people that are congregated, mm. not everybody's going to get along. Correct. No. Everybody has their own opinions. It's it's chem and, uh, it's chemistry personality. There's and the narcissism is rampant in our country today. But go ahead. Yeah. So so anyway, it was kind of, it was a it was a really a interesting round of golf. Yep. Um, kind well, of like a, kind of like I've kind of like I've never experienced. Right. Usually, when, usually when you're going out golfing, you're going out golfing with your buddies. You know, you have uh-huh. you know beers and stuff like that, and you know you're but. Well, you just know, beware when you go. Just beware when you're going golfing with your pastor, I guess, because you never know how he thinks about that ball. Well, you know, everybody's different, like you say. And uh, you know, my pastor was uh, my first pastor was uh, he was really a nice guy. He had one of those uh, personalities that uh, was kind, but like you're saying, you know, he had some flaws, like everybody does. But uh, you know, he liked to watch uh, he liked to watch Touched by an Angel. That was his favorite program. So he would rent videotapes of Touched by an Angel and just watch them. But anyway, uh, we were on a camping trip, a men's camping trip, you know, the old get everybody together thing in, in churches. And uh, he, uh, I had a camping stove, butane camping stove, and we, you hand, hand screw in the gas, and so I had that thing on, and I would, had a pot with me, a steel pot, and I was boiling water to make macaroni and cheese. Well, like a fool, because I'm a prairie billy, you know, I took two uh, napkins, paper napkins, and I grabbed the handles of the pot, it was boiling, 
and I grabbed the pot while the paper napkins caught fire from the grill, right? And so I'm holding it. <laughs> I'm holding it. My hands are burning. I got this boiling water in the pot. And, <laughs> and I go, ay, ay. My pastor looks at me. He says, you must have the Holy Spirit because you didn't even swear. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> God, I'll never, yeah. I'll never forget that. Crazy. But, uh, so, well, you were a pastor for a lot of years, weren't you? Like? Ten years. I was an assistant pastor for two years and pastored for 10 years and um it's both the most rewarding but also the worst job in church world so i mean mm -hmm. some people want to confess their sins to you i just got to the point where i didn't want to hear any of that I, you know it's uh, and some people you know got bitterness and they want to rehearse their problems too and that's okay you know they need an ear to listen and uh i guess the number one thing was uh you had to be patient you know couldn't just and advice people hate advice they don't and criticism doesn't work rarely does it work sometimes sometimes you need to take out the two by four but usually you do it after you're frustrated after your patience is completely gone you bring out the two by four and hit somebody over the head with it you know they're just not making any progress and you know you get frustrated so um but my pastor taught me quite a bit you know ojt he took me everywhere with him and uh he wanted to make I don't know if he did it deliberately or if God was leading him to do it, but uh, I needed training. I, I lacked, I lacked patience, and you know, I had a type A businessman's personality. You know, if there's a problem, going to fix it right now. You know, and uh, right. So your shoes untied, just tie it. Right, exactly. It hurts when I raise my arm. Well, don't raise your arm. You know, don't do that. So, yeah. Well, I do have a question. I do have a question for you, though. I mean. Sure. I mean, everybody has problems, correct? I mean, yeah, right. I mean, your kids may maybe have to do with your kids or um, your spouse or you know whatever it may be. But when you were a pastor, did you find that there are like generalities um, about problems that men had, or generalities about problems that women had? Okay. So, um, the number one problem. Are you still there? Yep. Okay. Most of the number one problem for men was. Uh, uh, their wives did not admire them, okay? So, uh, for various reasons, all right? Um, and that translated into uh, a cold sex life. So the man, you know, part of part of what I noticed was that the men needed admiration from their wives. It's And the guys that fell into adultery were the ones who were getting admiration from somebody who wasn't their spouse, okay? So... Mm -hmm. But usually the reason why they didn't get admiration from their wives was that they would not spend time talking to their wife. So I came up with a solution to take your wife on a car ride, <laughs> okay? And this got a lot of pushback from some people, but I said, the best thing about uh, building that relationship with your wife is uh, take her on a car ride, stare out the front window. I said, even if you're not listening, it gives her an opportunity to talk because she thrives on most of them thrive on conversation okay they're uh typically better verbally than men that's was my my observation then the number one problem i had with wives was that they they didn't respect their husbands for being spiritual okay so many times i had women come to me and complain that their husband wasn't spiritual enough all right and i, I remember one woman in particular you know, she was married to a hunt fish camp guy, and he was kind of burly. Uh, I thought he was a great guy, but she says, well, he, 
you know, he's not as spiritual as me. He doesn't pray as much as I do and blah, blah, blah. I said, you're wrong. I said, this guy's completely spiritual. Well, what do you mean? I said, he goes to work every day to provide for his family. I said, that's a spiritual activity. I said, it's no different than praying all day long. I said, you got the wrong idea about men. Oh, she didn't like that because she could hold it over his head that she was more spiritual than him. But the truth of the matter was, she was not very spiritual the way that she thought. And I had that happen a couple of times where women would, uh, you know, come and complain about their husbands when, you know, the bottom line is, is that the woman needs to do what, what uh, God has commanded her to do and the man needs to do the same. So um, my pastor used to say this, you know, about, about sex. Uh, and everything ends up in the in the bedroom, okay? So he he would say, women are crock pots and men are microwaves. And I think there's a lot of truth in that, and that there has to be um, a lot of, uh, let's just call it preparation uh, in a relationship in order for there to be a hot sex life. Because I think sex life is a determiner on the relationship, okay? So um, anyway, people have to ferret through those aren't the only issues there's many many of them you know like uh no i i'm just talking in general i mean yeah, you're gonna, to me, to me mean, those are the two big ones you know i mean finances you know when a guy goes to work every day maybe he doesn't uh, some guys had to work you know two walmart jobs you know it's tough for them i had i had one woman you know come in and she says well my husband's an idiot i said okay well no matter what he does he doesn't make enough money you know and uh then she got her mother involved in criticizing her husband okay and anybody she could enlist to criticize him and the poor guy he'd tell me he says i don't know what to do you know she just and she was like if you've seen that movie the taming of the shrew with elizabeth taylor that's who she was and uh i just thought you know what do i do i try to counsel them but so come over to their house and uh when i get there there's the mother okay her mother and her mother decides she's going to teach me how to counsel, and she has to be part of this. And I, I said, get your butt out of here. You're not part of this. I says, I'm not coming back until you're out of here. So anyway, uh, there's just a couple stories here for you. Well, that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I find that, um, you know, I think, um, you know, so, so a I lot thought, of our problems go along gender lines. Yeah, I, so I can understand that pastor wanting to hit a golf ball with a certain woman's face on it. You know, just like Michael Jordan wanted to hit the golf ball with Jerry Krause's face on it, you know. Uh, so, right. you know, but, you know, it's a funny I mean, I think, I a, think a lot of pastors probably, they probably go into the profession for, for noble reasons, and they and they leave because, you know, it just can't. Like you said, you just can't handle the problems anymore. Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. It's harder on your wife than it is on the pastor. Um, you know, I'll just relate a story. You know, I had I had a lot of poor people that came into my church. And they'd come over to my house, and I'd open up my deep freezer. They didn't have any food for Easter or for Christmas or for Thanksgiving. And my wife would watch that, and it would bother her. You know, why are you, why are you doing that, you know? But there's a lot of sacrifice that goes on it. And you don't realize the impact it has on your wife. And uh, <laughs> we had uh, we started a second church in Racine, Wisconsin. And so um, it was growing real fast. And so I had to split my time between Elkhorn, Wisconsin and Racine. So I go over there on Sunday mornings. And this thing is growing. I had some you know, people that were on fire 
and uh, there was a woman who had a kid who had Asperger's, and the kid, yeah. <laughs> he was, he was a cute kid. He was about nine years old, but he couldn't shut up. I mean, he just had that anything that popped in his brain came out of his mouth. So my wife had to get the Sunday school going, and uh, the kid had Asperger's. <laughs> he was just, you know, he, and so on Mother's Day in 2010, I, you know, after church service, I take my wife to a nice restaurant for Mother's Day, and she busts out in tears. She's bawling. I can't take this kid. Blah blah blah. And uh, I recognize that, um, you know, your wife is not who you are. And a uh, man of God can never go any further than his spouse. That's the, that's the truth. So I came to the conclusion that your family is your first ministry and church, is, church ministry is second. And uh, a lot of guys like working, makes them feel good. They get a lot of attaboys. And the ministry is no different than a secular job. You get a lot of attaboys. And uh, you like that. And that's that admiration thing men crave. And, but the bottom line is, is that your family is your first ministry. You got to take care of that first. Okay. Now I got story. So I got story to tell you. Yeah. So um, for all the years that you've been a pastor, mm-hmm. what what's the number what's the number one thing you can, advice wise you can give to people when they're picking out a church? Well, you know the Bible talks about true worship, John four twenty three, spirit and truth. You know, I think most people are attracted to churches that have um, a strong spirit of God in the congregation, and they can sense it. I don't use the word feeling because the word feeling is not in the New Testament. You know, all the people go, I feel the Holy Spirit there. I always go, show me that scripture. It's far more important to hear the Holy Spirit than to feel it. Although it's great if you feel it, that's fine. But you got to go based on what, what you hear. So the Bible says true worship comes from spirit and truth. So it's not just the spirit, but it's also the truth, what you hear. That's the point I'm trying to make. So, um, you know, is there any, number one, is, is there any power in the church? For example, you know, drug addiction, alcoholism, um, you know, uh, let's just say uh, sexual abuse, things of that nature. Is there any power to get people delivered from bitterness, from alcoholism, etc.? And Paul said, you know, should I come with you, come to you with flattering words or in demonstration of power of the Holy Spirit? So if there's no power in that church, I would not, I wouldn't attend there. I mean, the guy, you know, we, we like pretty words, like this Irish guy that's on the radio. He, he talks in a nice Irish accent, and we love those pretty words, and he's got a British accent. You know, mm-hmm. we love that because it tickles our ears. But if there's no power in the guy's ministry, you know, uh, you got to consider that. I, I, I put strong consideration on that. Second is what is he saying lining up with the Bible? And if it's not lining up with the Bible, then you're not properly discerning truth, spirit and truth. So, uh, to, you know, some people get fooled by how he says it versus what he says. Okay. And so that's my advice is find somebody, you know, spirit and truth, true worship. So a lot of people go, well, I've we got the spirit. Yes, we do. We got the spirit. How about you? Well, is there any truth there? You know, we got the truth. Yes, we do. We got the truth. How about you? You got to have both, not not one, not just one leg. There's two legs on every person, you know, to give us stability. That's my opinion. And remember. So what do you, So where do you think um, Christianity is headed today? I mean, as far as 
you know, their belief system and well, all inclusive. My own opinion is that we are all philosophy. Yeah, we're all victims of the past. So, you know, when the when the early church fell into Greeks in the church, the Greeks were full of philosophy and they brought it into the church. You know, Paul warned the church at Ephesus that a wolf would enter in. And sure enough, Justin Martyr came in wearing the philosopher's robe. He never took it off. And he contaminated the church with his you know, philosophical ideas, which he got out of Athens and Alexandria. Alexandria was in Egypt. Athens was in Greece. Those were the two cities of philosophy. And so he started it, and it just continued. You know, like uh, guys like uh, Jerome and Augustine. Um, there's others. And so we are still victims of a lot of that junk that came into. And so you'll find guys like Schofield or people that... Uh, write commentary in Bibles, and people read the commentary but not the Bible. And commentary is nothing more than a guy's opinion, and you can really, you can really get uh, hosed. You ought to just focus on the scriptures. Uh, so the state of the church world today is I feel like God is uh, revolutionizing the church with corona because this uh, corporate model that we have, one guy stands in the front, does all the preaching. I used to do it too, so I'm, I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself here. One guy does all the preaching in the front, and everybody else kind of sits there like uh, watching the talking heads, like watching television, you know. And then you have your five minutes of fellowship at the church meeting, which is not really very deep. You know, you shake a hand or two, and oh, you hug somebody. That's not true uh, Christian fellowship. So uh, your golfing event is a more spiritual event than probably sitting in some of these church services. So I think what God is doing is he's trying to revolutionize the church to get back into the home and where you gather with your neighbors and uh, I guess my proof text of that is that every church and I did the same okay so I'm pointing the finger at myself when, when we get somebody who converts to Christianity we teach them new believers and doctrine okay so we give them doctrine new believers and the mission is to get the truth into them okay but that's where we stop we don't go beyond that and teach them to become elders and a lot of people become bored with church because they're constantly drinking the same milk you know and they never get into any meat and so I feel like that's what God wants that's what he's doing with coronavirus is he's putting us back in the homes you know Acts 242 they met house to house I feel like that's what he's doing mm -hmm. so most a lot of guys are having a hard time adapting you know because they've got debt on their buildings you know I had debt too I had a mortgage and they've got a building, and everything is surrounding that building, okay, which keeps a church inside four walls. And so now you're kind of in the place where the Chinese church is or the old Soviet Union church was, is now you're out in the forest or you got to meet with your neighbors across the street, and uh, it's different. So the corporate model of Christianity is dying, the basilica, because let's, let's face it, going forward, Everybody's going to be wearing masks full time. It'll wear off over time. Maybe two, three years, they'll stop wearing the masks. I mean, and uh, Billy Graham going to right. a, going to a stadium. That's done. Joel Osteen's got the biggest problem. He's got that basketball stadium full of people. I mean, uh, he's going to have to rely totally on TV. But people need fellowship, and uh, without the fellowship, you know, we're we're designed to be social creatures, and without that, uh, we just don't do well. There. That's a big long opinion. Yeah, I think I think getting into what you're saying is um, like Bible studies. I think you know community Bible studies with with people um, is really where the community really enhances itself because you can you can really get intimate on things and really discuss. 
Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's always topics. It's always great to get to know somebody and get a different opinion. You know, there's no one right. person has all the answers. You know, and a pastor certainly right. doesn't. You know, most pastors have mm -hmm. no degree in psychology, so when they're counseling, they're relying yeah. on the spirit. Okay, and uh, yeah. so, you know, for example, I remember a woman. She says, "I, I you know, I want to take out a loan to buy a car." <laughs> it's like. Why are you asking me? I'm not a financial advisor. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, come on. Yeah. You know, that's the... Uh... But I mean, that's, that's part of that um, misconception about pastors. They're supposed to be all things to their congregation. And really, they're, they're, they're not. That's, that's an unrealistic expectation. Part of the problem is, is that uh, when pastors do well with a sermon or maybe some advice, they get a lot of good attaboys. And people can begin to think that they're infallible, that they're actually talking to Jesus, okay? But uh, that's, a, that's a huge mistake. Uh, there are no popes in Christianity, okay? You never call a man father, all right? Bible, you know, Paul said, call no man father. Or I don't know if Jesus said, I can't remember that scripture now. But there's nobody that is you know, superior spiritually to somebody else. Where God's no respecter of persons. So if you can't learn from somebody... Uh, and you become unteachable, you become infallible, you're headed for a fall, that's pride. And uh, people, you know, people do it to their pastors, you know. I remember a woman come up to me one time and church was full and she says, Pastor, can I hang up your coat? Okay, because it was cold outside, I think I kept my coat on. And, um, I said, there's a bunch of people sitting on here. When you get done hanging up their coats, you can hang mine up. See, what she wanted was she wanted attention. She had focused it on me. But a lot of guys will eat that up and say, oh, yeah, you know, take my coat, you know, come over and mow my lawn and paint my house. And all of a sudden you begin uh, to become oppressive. That, to me, is oppression, where people want attention. You know, they'll flatter you. They'll, uh, you know, it's no different than uh, uh, I watched a, a movie last night called A Man for All Seasons, and it's about King Henry VIII and Thomas More. Good movie, made in the 60s, beautiful Anyway, uh, when Henry VIII gets off this boat and steps in the mud, he looks at all the guys that are behind him, and like sycophants, they all wait for him to see what he did because he got mud in his shoes, so he laughs, so they all jumped in the mud, okay? And uh, he recognized them for being man-worshippers, okay? They followed him around like little ducks, and uh, mm -hmm. that's something pastors and saints got to avoid, or, or leaders, you know? Well, there's one more topic I want to ask you about, and I think it's it's probably one of the most probably controversial topics of of people who go to who of uh, people who attend church today. Is I hear this quite a bit, and maybe you could talk about it a little bit. Is pastors who um, give their sermons about asking for money from their from their practitioners, and uh, how that kind of makes people feel and. Um, well, the good and the bad of something like that. Well, what I've noticed, <clears throat> you know, I've got some <laughs> interesting friends. Uh, one guy's got a conviction about uh, putting his name on a tithing envelope. He doesn't want, you know, because the church is organized 501c3, he doesn't want his name uh, going to the government Which that, he, what? that he gave money. Uh, 501c is a not-for-profit corporation, so okay. churches right. organize that way for, to limit liability. They get sued or they won't lose their assets. So it's a not-for-profit. It's been around since uh, the Income Tax Act of 1916. But anyway, 
usually what I find is that uh, people that give money, okay, and they're concerned with how it's being spent, didn't really give money, okay, because they they kept a string they kept a string attached to their hundred dollar bill, okay, or their check. So I had a young man come to me one time. He says, you know, Pastor, I don't agree with the way you spend money in this church. I'm <laughs> thinking. You know, I knew what his I knew what his tithing record was because I see it once in a while, and I thought, well, you don't give too much. <laughs> this is what I was thinking: you don't give much, and here you're concerned about how I'm spending it. I'm concerned with how you're giving it. You know, and that's you know, when you give when you give to your church assembly, okay, you give and you forget it. Let that man be responsible for what he does with that money that you gave. You give as unto the Lord, okay. So when Jesus watched them giving uh, coins at the temple, you know, the widow's might, you know, he, he, God observes this. He observes what your attitude is towards giving. And of course, uh, in the book of Malachi, you know, God says, you robbed me of tithes and offerings. And then I always got the argument, well, tithing is Old Testament, not New Testament. But the truth of the matter is it's not. Uh, Abraham tithed and he was not Old Testament. He was before Old Testament came in at Mount Sinai. So it's been around a long time. I mean, your attitude towards money shows you know, pretty much what's in your heart. And uh, uh, I always said that there's you know, three tattoos that a man should avoid, okay? And you get these tattoos on your chest. Number one is the golden calf, all right? Number two is the rooster, and number three is a serpent. You know, you don't want those tattoos on your chest over your heart. And uh, the golden calf is by far the more serious one. The Bible calls it covetousness, okay? And uh, probably, the, you know, because I, I was a businessman, you know, the Lord would use me to uh, preach to businessmen all the time. And uh, the number one problem with business guys is, you know, covetousness, wanting to be in control. And there's a whole host of issues, but covetousness is the number one. So um, when you give, give us unto the Lord. Uh, Tithes uh, is definitely not Old Testament, and offerings is, this is what I found out about offerings. Um, one time I was driving home from work, and this is before I started pastoring. I was a new Christian, and I was driving by this one home, and I felt the Spirit speak to me. I felt the Lord speak to me. Now, I, I'm not saying I hear God's voice, and I'm, uh, I'm, I need to have a white coat around me, okay? But I sensed that something was wrong in a house, and they needed some money. So it wasn't a lot of money. I think I put a couple hundred bucks in an envelope, and I went and knocked on the door, and there's two boys in there. I said, I said, uh, you don't know who I am. I live down the street here, but uh, would you give this envelope to your mom? And uh, I wrote my name and address on it because I didn't want them to freak out, you know. And uh, the woman wrote me a letter, and she said, you had no idea. We had no food for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, so an offering... Uh, should should be motivated not when somebody puts peer pressure on you i've seen pastors put peer pressure on people which is a form of fear they'll say who'll stand up and give a hundred dollars to this foreign missionary okay and so everybody feels obligated to stand up you know that's peer pressure that's fear and god loves a cheerful right. giver so i've seen that done that's wrong in my opinion but uh what i've found is that when you give when the spirit the Lord asks you to give, or let's say you give out of compassion, human compassion, which is okay too. I find that he always multiplies it. Okay, so that $200 I know came back to me. All right. And it came back, you know, sometimes two, three, four fold. And people don't realize that. God will put it back in your pocket. 
And in fact, this just happened the other day to me, you know. So um, that's my opinion. If you want to know what I think about giving. Well, that's interesting. So, so you got a young couple. They've got four young kids, and they're going. They they want to attend the church, and mm-hmm. and um, they hear that that pressuring yeah. fear message. Right. And maybe they don't have the money to give, um, but maybe they have some time to give. I mean, would you would you, would you maybe have some time to serve? in in your church maybe i would say this i would say they don't understand god very well okay uh let me give you an example okay there's a concept that i never heard anybody preach on it i did one time called corbin c-o-r-b i think it's y-n and uh jesus rebuked the pharisees because they were you know tithing and giving to the temple but yet their own parents were suffering okay and he said, Corbin, he said, you've, you've turned God into a monster. In other words, God demands a tithe from you when your own parents can't afford to pay their rent. Okay, that's one concept. Then I'll give you the second concept. I had uh, a guy, he actually was an assistant pastor to me. He meant well, but he had picked up somewhere along the line when he was living in Texas that he should give 20% for tithe versus 10%. And uh, like the situation you said, he, his kids didn't have clothes and shoes and all that and I took him aside and I said God doesn't demand 20% and you don't get an attaboy from God because you've exceeded what scripture commands you to do I said so knock it off and buy your kids some shoes okay so everybody runs into financial problems once in a while and maybe can't make their commitment okay but I have found that people that trust God with finances like tithes and offerings they prosper and uh, God makes sure. So that's what I would say to that young couple that says, I can't afford to tithe. I would say, you can't afford not to, okay? You, you don't understand God's prosperity plan. And I don't mean that the more you give, the more you get. It doesn't work that way. I'm just saying that, that uh, the scriptural methods, you know, when the Spirit motivates you to give an offering, that's one thing. That's outside of your tithe. Uh, but I would say your tithe is essential to your, uh, you know, God's uh, prosperity plan. That doesn't mean that God's going to, double your salary it means that hey you got a job okay <laughs> a lot of people don't understand i had one guy one young man he says man i need a job i need a job so he gets this great job but it's hard work and he quits two weeks later but before he quit he'd stand up in church and say god gave me this job i was just testimony. god gave me this job and he quits it and i said to him why would you quit what god has given you i said i don't get it so that's really good yeah you know i mean yeah you could get a good job or a good boss, you know. I had another guy come to me, he was a cop, nice guy, you know, I love this guy. He was about my age and we got along well, but he had a boss, the, uh, the chief of police was corrupt and he was uh, stealing from the city where they worked and everybody knew it and so this guy would spend all his time with the boys around the water fountain criticizing his boss. And I said to him, you don't understand the principles of God. He says, what do you mean? I said, even though you work for a corrupt boss, God commands us not to speak evil. I said, if you will not participate in that conversation and begin praying for your boss, I said, positive things will happen. Well, you know what happened after two months? The guy got busted (laughs) and he left the department He got a new boss, you know? So people just don't, they're not taught right um, God's principles. Either they believe God exists and he really does, he really is involved and intervenes in their life, or they don't. It's really that simple, in my opinion. 
Well, I think you've given a really good perspective on a lot of things today, Dwight. Uh, I'm a talkaholic, yeah. I shouldn't talk so much. That's all right. At least you get a chance to talk. <laughs> yep. All right, well. That's Maybe your wife doesn't let you talk all the time. Yeah, she's sick of me. Okay. All right. Uh, well, that's where we'll stop here today. God bless you, Jeff. You've been listening to Rewind. This is a podcast where old guys can pass on what they know. We're praying for the next generation. Mm-hmm.